Dylan, welcome to the first episode of the second season of the Staying at Home podcast. Hey, man, it's good to be on here. Um, I'm surprised we haven't done this uh, sooner, but, you know, life goes yeah. on. Yeah, we, we, to be fair, we both have been super busy and we both uh, kind of started uh, to continue our podcast projects at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, podcast, yeah. podcast is a lot of work. It's just time. And yeah. so, but I think that makes it better instead of, you know, I, I really don't listen to a daily podcast or even weekly just because I think the only one that does it really well is probably Joe Rogan just because he brings on really interesting characters and his podcast is one of the few that probably he doesn't have a hard time bringing on people. So yeah. someone like me, you know, it, it takes a while to get, you know, cool guests and stuff like that. So, and I'm just not going to talk in front of a microphone for you know, an, an hour. hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I feel you there because, um, yeah, Joe, have you tried DMT? Rogan is definitely um, quite a character. He does what, what he does insanely well. And it's, it's mm -hmm. like what in the 20 years ago talk shows used to be. Everyone wanted to be on opera or whatever. Right. Um, that's the digital digital age version of that. And yeah, my podcast consumption, ironically, even if that's one of my most mm -hmm. favorite things to do, has been reduced drastically since um, the whole COVID situation because I love to listen to that during long drives, which I don't do nowadays anymore, unfortunately or fortunately. Um, so yeah, I listen to Bill Burr's Monday morning podcast, which is uh, for me definitely the best because it's just like an hour Joe Rogan stuff. I think for myself it's a little bit long, sometimes up to four hours. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I, I, I commend him for, for doing that. Cause that's, that's really hard to do. And yeah. you don't really see, you don't really see that. And so that's, and it's also what I found is just t time commitment. You know, yeah. especially with guests, you know, if I can get them for an hour, that's, that's gold. And even for me, you know, it's, um, to commit a full hour of trying to do something, but and so, you know, you work your way up just like in anything else. Exactly. And the far, the more you do it, you faster, the faster you get with it. But I would like to take a quick step back and sure. tell uh, the wonderful audience, which has returned after almost six months of silence. Um, Dylan, who are you? Where are you from? And uh, since we know each other for like 10 years now, I wanted to ask you, what are you doing for, for a living? Okay. Yeah, I am from uh, Austin, Texas, uh, originally. So I've, I've been a Texas uh, raised for for uh, my entire life and um i run a a small media company um that we mostly do like production and a lot of journalism uh international affairs type content which is called freelance society and um through that we've done 
lot of projects such uh, since um, uh, you've been involved in Simon, such as yep. you know in Iraq covering the different conflicts that's happened over there. Um, uh, uh, literally the immigration uh, coming from all over parts of the world going to into Europe, uh, and worked with numerous different news agencies such as uh, New York Times, Al Jazeera. Um, and even like production stuff, such as um, worked with Black Rifle Coffee most recently, had done a couple of videos for them, and then different nonprofits, you know, that we worked with. So a little bit of everything, and uh, and so right now I haven't really traveled that much just because what's everything's been going on, and so I'm I'm mostly just working a few production gigs, uh, that, um, pretty much just editing, enjoying that. Uh, and then w- while doing my own stories, my own content, such as podcasts that I've been working on that, which you've been on and mostly just interviewing, um, freelancers or independent, uh, freelancers or photographers or journalists and talking about their stories, their, their past, um, different coverages that they've worked on and, and just hearing what they have to say. And I've, I've been enjoying that and just working on some, you know, passion films that I've had in the back burner. And I think this is the first year that I won't be able to travel overseas, which is crazy. I haven't done that probably since high school. So yeah, your, your your travel your travel bug must be very itchy at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, seeing what's been happening in Armenia conflict and Azerbaijan and what what's everything's been happening there. There's been so many times. I mean, I've looked at plane tickets, just being like, "Hey, let, should I just go and go?" And then I just I just stop because you know it's I you just. And the risk factor just on top of just covering a conflict and when you add just uh, a virus going through and making travel just extremely difficult, another thing you have to worry about. And then on top of that, just the news industry in general is not as great um, when it comes to when it comes to um, just the business side of things. And so all in all, you know, I'm happy where I'm, what I'm doing now. And, um, I would love to, you know, I'll probably start traveling back once things seems like is getting better, but, uh, yeah, that's just a little bit currently what I'm doing. I, I just, while we're speaking, I mentioned all the projects that we did together, the refugee crisis, um, and Iraq, um, and when you started to sp- speak about Azerbaijan, it just remembers me about, uh, reminds me of um, back in 2015, um, you and I met in Berlin, uh, picked you up at the airport. And mm-hmm. back then organizing an international project was like, you sent me an iMessage road, t- road trip question mark, answer <laughs> is road trip. And then we were already rolling towards whatever was expecting us um and today it's just like like in in 2020 it's impossible to be that flexible to cover these very very important events because there's as you said it's almost impossible to really guarantee for physical safety covering a conflict first Mm -hmm. and then 
Um, there is this global health situation going on, which is another layer, and you never ever in an active conflict zone are able to upkeep with washing your hands 30 seconds, use hand, no hand sanitizer, social distance in the trenches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's, uh, I mean, I, I know a few, like they're some of the top just journalists in general who, yeah. you know, they spend most of their time overseas. And, um, and so, uh, and like I've been wa looking at this, uh, his name is Gabriel and, um, he, some of his photos that he's been taking in our media and some of his content is just, it's amazing. And he's one of the few out there. Um, I really do think if there wasn't like a virus, you would see a lot of, a lot more coverage and a lot more people, but it's just then, you know, with less jobs and less content. Um, less stories makes it very difficult to um, to make. You're, I mean, you're going there if you're going independently as a freelancer. You're, there's almost a guarantee you're not going to make any money, and if you do, you're basically just covering your expenses. So no. it's mostly people who are working full time with a news agency, and you know they're traveling out there. So um, I I hope it gets better. Um, you know, I've always said, I've, I've always tried to do focus on other production work to pay the bills. Um, you kind of have to, and then you do the, your, your passion projects or the, you know, stuff you really want to do when it makes sense for it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think it's important to like do both. The stuff that make makes you money and the stuff that uh, is a passion project, um, because if you depend <laughs> depend with your uh, bills on passion projects being very quickly very profitable, uh, there's a lot of bad news. <laughs> um, but right. um, Dylan, let's let's uh, jump into the time machine and travel back to I think it was 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. um us meeting in this uh wonderful um bar in jerusalem abave isrim um 420 and <coughs> with our uh well-spoken uh very handsome british friend christian right and back then um i joined a media school and Christian was on his way out and said, dude, don't waste your fucking time here. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. Uh, no, I want to learn. I want to be that fantastic, phenomenal uh, filmmaker that I aspire to be. And then leaving, leaving the film school was actually the best decision uh, I did for my creative career. And mm -hmm. it's just crazy to see how much freelance society christian you i have have done in these five years where we were like all very very focused on working on these on these projects and i mean yeah. from a from a shady bar in jerusalem to larry king and making all these projects for uh that ended up being in new york times and everything like how far you have come and what you've achieved in such a short time it, it's quite phenomenal yeah i i guess i always have to remind me and remind myself on that 
just because five years is really nothing. And I, I feel like I'm, I, there, I re, I need to remind that I, I'm really just now beginning my career. I think even most international journalists really start their careers in their thirties. Um, and I just, you know, I'm 31 now and, uh, have a better understanding of the business side of things and the story side. But those, those, those beginning years of just getting out there and, and, and filming stories and trying to get clients and making things work and meeting people like yourself, like in a really shady bar in Jerusalem, uh, a, a great bar. I think about those times, um, and, you know, meeting you and just, you know, I, I remember sitting at a, I remember sitting, I think we all got dinner one time and at the table was American, which was me, uh, a German, which was you. Then we had British, which was Christian. And then we had, um, uh, Tarek and, uh, who was Palestinian. And then, um, we had a couple of, other people who I didn't know, but they were like Israeli. So you, you really had all nations like at one table and that's what's, that's, what's really cool. And you know, I, 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 for the most part, I try to stay in contact with most of my friends who I, who I make overseas. Yeah. Yeah. I miss Tarek. He's like, uh, laid back, uh, positive energy guy. (laughs) And he always has your back no matter what happens. When I I was covering for Riot News, which is now, uh, I guess, Huffington. They've been acquired. Yeah, they they got acquired by Huffington Post, but it's basically under Verizon. They're they're like a marketing marketing department for Verizon from what my understanding is. Interesting. Okay, cool. So when we were there and I was uh, filming the weekly protests on uh, Friday with uh, tear gas versus burning dumpsters and stones and bullet projectiles and tear gas, um, Uh he always had my back, no matter which which, uh, uh, Hamas merchandise wearing people I I got (laughs) in front of the camera. Um, He always was there to help out and everything always goes so smoothly with him involved and he has such a chill attitude. Um, Yeah, Tarek is this Palestinian that lives in Bethlehem and he's a video creator and filmmaker Um, and I think every night Tarek would take me to like a new party or a new like uh, club or something like that. <laughs> he always would. I, it, those were fun times, you know, running around in his car, blasting, you know, techno music or some kind of the latest new music. Um, you know, going to like a random cave that was technically on the Israeli side, I guess. And Tark was like, "Hey, we need to be quiet because there's some settlers here that don't like us very much." I'm like, "Oh my yeah. gosh, Tark, you're going to get a shot!" <laughs> and just to have a beer in a cave, you know, that was that was the thing. But so Tark has always, he yeah, he's a great guy. I mean, I think um, Israel and the West Bank and in Gaza and that that conflict that that's a good place for journalists uh, starting out their careers to go. Just because it's yeah. such a complicated um, um, situation, 
And it's one of those places where you have to go to really understand certain things. And even yeah. just, just going one time, you're not going to get the full story. Never, um, yeah. You have to go quite a bit, but you get a little bit, everything is real. <laughs> you get, yeah. you, you know, you can cover crazy riots. You can cover a full out war in Gaza. You can see the different <laughs> situations of all like. All within a 30 minutes drive. <laughs> all in a 30 minute drive. You can meet people who are insanely pro Israel and doesn't even want to hear what the Palestinians on their side and vice versa. And you meet people who are generally trying to help and generally trying to figure things out despite of, you know, so many different opinions um, and conditions in that area. So it's, I mean, it's um, one, it's a, it's a fascinating place for, with fascinating stories and it's a very complicated and um, area um, which makes it very hard to, you know, tell stories there. But it's it's great. I, I mean, I think every journalist should try to go should try to go out there. Yeah, because the story kind of always volunteers yourself to it, and I think the more time you spend there, the less complicated the conflict gets. At least from that angle, that if you really leave this situation just to the Palestinians and the Israelis, they eventually gonna work it out. Um, but with all of the international influences and like these um, mm. also radical Christian uh, movements, you know, putting their yeah, you got all uh, movements there, yeah, <laughs> literally <laughs> everything, yeah, yeah. And so, if people just would stay out of it and let uh, the Palestinians and the Israels just go have a beer in a cave together, this conflict would be solved immediately <laughs> yeah and they do uh, it, it does happen you know but it's it's not uh, it's probably doesn't get any kind of notice as what it deserves but yeah it's it's um i mean i know people who who've been out to israel and they'll go on these tours and you know, they, they, they go only to what their tour guide is showing them. Um, and I'm sure there is a lot of good tours out there, but I, you know, you can go around that country um, minus Gaza, no problem. You know, it's a lot of people speak English on both Palestinian and Israeli side. And, and you really get, you know, if you just go by yourself or with a, you know, a couple of friends and link up, it's a really easy place to get around. It's not that big of a, you know, area. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm sure Israel is a is a special place for you. Always has been. I've been there, I think if you add the time together about 2 years. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know, I just don't get all, all the hate people have towards um people that they've never met. Um, it's it's quite fascinating now to see that uh, happening on our home turfs with uh, right. how pol politics are in the United States. People hate each other for no reason, and we have the same here in Germany too. Where it's like yeah. just all sorts of crazy having a platform to talk, and all they do is eventually harm themselves because they take uh, opportunity um, away from themselves and other people with their division. Yeah, it's um 
I, I don't know what the solution is because it's for one thing, it's amazing that everyone has an opportunity to speak their minds and to, and to say whatever they want. But then you have, then you have that problem. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's, it's an amazing thing to have, which I probably lean towards that, you know, if we had to pick one. Um, but you, you, you also have, you know, a lot of people out there who, you know, just say content that they automatically believe. And that's great. They, you know, say whatever you want. Um, but, you know, I believe if you say whatever you want, if, if something happens or if um, you're getting bad reviews or bad outcome of that, like, yeah, that, that could happen too. So that's, that's the price of putting yourself out there. So, yeah. Um, so we'll see. I, the new, this just the news industry in general, uh, it's, it's, it's going like crazy, you know, it's in what you put a pandemic on top of that, you're starting to see more layoffs and more and more jobs, you know, not as frequent. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It's, it's, I think the whole, information age and the whole um social media um way of interacting and like having 140 or 280 digits to communicate it's yeah. not really designed to listen and that's what i amazes me with these documentaries um i i remember seeing the project Christian and you did uh, back in the day for Vice, uh, the mm-hmm. Vicar of Baghdad. I don't know if I butchered that word. No, that's right. Um, um, with what Andrew, I think was his yeah, name. Yeah, Andrew White. Canon Andrew yeah. White. Yeah. Amazing stuff because obviously when you're not really, um, you know, when you're plugged in into the daily news type of stuff and it's just, for me personally, it's just some sort of entertainment that depresses you, but has no meaning or solution to it. Um, but watching uh, the documentaries like the Vicar of Baghdad or producing myself content with with and for um, the NGOs we worked with, like you report very, very depressing topics, right? But mm-hmm. you also show a solution. And, um, one thing that I, I learned, um, is do not consume any type of content that doesn't offer you a solution to the problem, or at least a perspective on a solution to the problem, Mm -hmm. because it's just going to bring you down. I mean, the stuff that you see in, in war zones, um, it's enough to burn you in faith in humanity for, for at least three lifetimes. Yeah, um, exactly. It's, uh, there is, there's so many things that, um, like social media in the beginning for me was friends and whoever I wanted to connect with. Now it feels more like I'm trying to get my feed to where, you know, there's no issues or anything like that. And I almost make it like almost work related. Cause I, the only reason why I have Facebook is just because, uh, so many people internationally use it and I can communicate with them. Yeah. So, um, I don't even use it like, yeah, I'll post my content on there, but it's just to, 
do it, I guess, just for my friends and close family who actually, you know, they want to watch it. It's not even for like master distribution at this point. It's just for, Hey, here's some friends and family who like what I do. I'm just going to share it with them. That's why I do it. Um, and, and so that's, that's, I, I don't know what the solution is. Like, I think YouTube out of all the platforms have done the best. Um, and like, I don't know what that looks like when you get probably a million videos uploaded a minute. It's probably even more than that. Um, and how you manage all that. So we'll see, you know, on, on the good side of it, you know, it gives creators a chance to be seen and recognize where they, that would never happen through the legacy media or working your way up. Um, so there, there's pros and cons for it. So I, I think people just need to realize that social media is still somewhat in the early stages and it, there could be a chance that it gets better, but I don't know what that looks like. And I don't think they even know what that looks like yet other than sell ads. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I could, I could, I would be fine if Twitter, I could never use Twitter. You know, I don't really even use it. I don't even follow news on it. Um, The only time that I've ever used it was if like really something breaking news was happening, like the elections, I guess I would try, but even that I was just mainly just, you know, going to, you know, different news sites and, clicking on their URL and looking what the latest is. Like I didn't even, I could, I could never use Twitter and be fine with it. It doesn't not compare to like Facebook to where it's such a communication device of it's like a, I use it like a combination of LinkedIn and Instagram where I can post content, but it's also Facebook has so many international people on their platform I have to have it just to stay connected with my international folks. Yeah. And just reflecting on that, like, I I really think, um, what in general matters most is really connected to be connected to those that you care about and those that care about you. Everything else is just noise. If you use it to promote and market a business, that's great. For instance, um, I, um, since I think the same year we started freelance society or you started and I joined it, Mm -hmm. um, I'm working with Nikki team, the Aston Martin, uh, works driver that right now is on his way to win the Fiawick uh, world championship title this weekend. Knock on wood. Um, he, we started from zero with social media and right now our reach and audience is at times, according to Facebook, uh, analytics bigger than the entire racing league itself. (laughs) with only like 10 or 5 percent of the likes wow interesting Um, on twitter i tweet while he's driving to keep the fans updated and 24-hour races sometimes can be very long and usually i stay up during the whole time and adjust my sleep rhythm to my driver's sleep rhythm so whenever he's in the car, I'm awake. And whenever he's not in the car, 90% chance I'm still tweeting and interacting with the racing community. 
and um, then you know during night hours uh, i try to adjust my little naps with when he's not doing anything so i can provide the fans and the community live information during the race and um for that twitter is really really a super powerful and super amazing tool mm-hmm. um but if you don't have that community it's just uh unnecessary noise like the only thing i have is racing stuff new stuff and tech stuff but i do not follow any like celebrities that are outside of these three categories that i just said Uh, instagram is probably my favorite that and youtube i uh, instagram for for um uh selling merchandise is incredible i mean i i follow the reason why I like it so much just for buying stuff is because I follow these really cool, small boutique companies that produce really great products. And the only way, you know, they don't have that big of an inventory. So, and they're pretty, they've been smart of just doing like pre-sale drops and stuff like that. And the only mm-hmm. way you're going to know about it is if you follow them on Instagram, like that's it. And so, um, it's like a good, they mix good quality of product with, with, with social media. And they, it's been very interesting to see how that, so I, I, that all I've been said is just social media is becoming so commercialized and I don't yeah. know where story fits into that. So I think YouTube is becoming the, the last kind of place to where as content creators and story, like true storytellers, you can put something on youtube and still have a chance for people to see it and it's content that you want to make versus um the traditional vlogging and doing videos that's going to try to get you views and try to get you views but then you're just doing it just to figure out a business model for it um which i get like but that's that's never something that i've been interested in yeah for me youtube is like um i think my most used app on any any device and also the most used uh platform on on anything really because i i love movies i think our both of our passion for film is uh, what us uh, initially um initially brought us together right and um the then there's like tech stuff and car stuff and you know video games and there's just like the short bits and the super long form video essays everything in one place and i think also youtube's media player and youtube's uh playback options are probably the best in the game um i I don't enjoy watching video content on any like excluding netflix netflix and uh any any of these types of uh, there's no better media player as youtube uh, oh it's not even close it's not even close yeah Yeah. and they're they're set up to be you know they could be the real winners in the end um and and versus you know the top whether it's apple facebook you know and netflix or in disney so but um but yeah i i 
so there's good and there's bad and we'll see how it shapes up. There's nothing you can do about it is what I tell people. (laughs) So (laughs) if it's really bothering you, just don't, don't use anything. You know, it's like humans have to adapt to humans are going to have to adapt somewhat to control, you know, cause you can easily fix it just not by watching it, you know, or just Excellent. make your feed, just make your feed to what you want. Um, but, but yeah, I, 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 um, that being said, I, I'm just enjoy just, you know, doing my own content, my own, my own films, and I'm just going to release it on my own accord. I think I've kind of moved, moved past the pitching it to different news agencies and everything of trying to get funded. Um, I, I, I think you're going to start seeing a turn of, of content of more independent, more independent, um, content creators, just releasing their own stuff. Like a good example is popular front, um, who's doing really amazing work. It's a lot of work. Um, they have to do the social media route. Um, but through that, they're able to, to get some really cool documentaries funded that way. So, um, that's, that's great. I think if I had more time, um, I would like to start doing more of that kind of stuff. So, um, and you know, you know, one of the films I've been working on is war life, um, which is about, um, my time in Iraq and filming it. And you were on, you were on part of those, some of those trips as well. And, um, I'm excited to finish that project and just, and be, uh, be finished with that. So, and, but I don't have any plan of like, Oh, I'm going to pitch it to Netflix. You know, that's what everyone says, but like Netflix knows what content they're putting out for the next five years. <laughs> yeah. That's what and I tell also people. Their, their algorithms. Um, yeah, exactly. They're so good at what they do. Um, it's, 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 um, you kind of need to have what their product management or the product pipeline Mm-hmm. Once at the moment, it's not the only a question of qu- product quality. It's also a question about what's popular with people at the moment. But I, I wanted to ask you something that I actually, and without uh, any any traces of joking, um, wanted to ask you: Why do you care so much about? the stories that you're covering war zones natural disasters mm-hmm. uh, humanitarian crises and so on that you're willing to potentially sacrifice your own life for it yeah I, that's that's a normal question uh that's somewhat difficult to answer just because i, I in the beginning i've i've always approached these uh, type of stories in conflict journalism, um, going to really dangerous areas as something I had to do, not something I want to do. You know, I, that's the kind of mindset that I've always had drilled in early on is like, do I have to do this? Do I have to go tell this story? Is it that important to me? And if it makes sense, then absolutely I go. I, 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 
you know, there's definitely times in, in the beginning of my career, I went just because I want that adrenaline, you know, now thinking back, I think I, I think in the early on, I was like, no, I'm doing this because I had to do it. But in the end, I was like, no, I just want to go just because I want to see it, you know? And, um, I, I still think, you know, those stories of what's happened in Iraq and, and Syria, Afghanistan, um, I think still it's just vastly under underreported um, when compared to anything that we see in in the U.S. or you know in Western media. I think those those stories and it, it and people should care because we are connected to those conflicts, government wise or political wise. A lot of people say like whether we like it or not. Um, the U.S. and Europe um, were connected to those conflicts or natural disasters in some way. So I think we should we should be paying attention and resourcing those journalists to you know to tell more stories because like you can probably get a budget for like a human story, which is great. Human stories, you know, profiles of someone doing heroic things or, you know, an NGO that's doing incredible work or a humanitarian that's, you know, risking his life. Like those are amazing human stories. And that's really the budget that you can get, but to do anything like investigative, doing something that really requires funding and time to do, that's where you don't really see any funding with. And so you're forced to do these very quote unquote simple, they're still very dangerous, um, but it's a lot easier, you know, to get those humanized type stories because, you know, you're dealing with editors or media companies. They're like, okay, yeah, we can, this is simple enough for audiences to pay attention to, which is not, not true. Like give the audience more credit. Like they want to know what's actually happening in more complex stories. So, um, so that's still what drives me just because after spending so much time covering those places, there's so many stories that do not get reported because simply there's just not any funding for it. And for freelancers to spend a month or two on an investigative story with no budget, like there's no way, you know, you know, yeah. they're going Got to pitch, eat. they're going to pitch the story that can get quick funds, get quick money. You know? Yeah, and sometimes uh, because of that, a lot of the stories that you see out of these uh, regions are just so cliche that it's for yeah. the one that actually looks into it and spends some time in researching the basics. Um, it's just almost unwatchable inv- and it becomes more like, I don't know, like on the intellectual level of 90 day fiance kind of <laughs> war, <laughs> war reporting yeah. it's like yeah carpet bomb uh, carpet bombing bad um but yeah the human drama that be- happens behind that and between these exactly. you know uh group a attacking group b and then whatever the people that this stuff is happening to are mostly the people that have the least influence on the situation well even a good example i won't name any ngos but you know in iraq a lot of these media outlets would just go hang out with these medical ngos that were you know they're helping people that is a difficult job 
and there was these foreign medical nonprofits that came in and wanted to provide medical aid. Um, and so these news agencies would go there and they would only see, they would only spend like one or two hours there. And so they would only see the surface level of it. But since I spent so much time there and had beers and saw these NGO medical workers, you know, um, multiple weeks and months just by, you know, crossing paths with them or seeing at different places, you know, there was a lot of things you can report, I would say, you know, you know, whether they're doing the right kind of medical treatment or, um, you know, telling frontline soldiers to be like, Hey, I need you to bring, you know, patients who are, you know, soldiers taking from the front line and bringing them to their, you know, medical setup where there's probably another medical, I know there's another medical facility that's closer that they can get treated, but they need the numbers of how many patients they're going to get. And that person dies on the way out because they, you know, that international, that soldier, you know, whatever it's like, okay, I'll just go to, I'll just listen to this person kind of thing And war is so complicated that it's really hard to communicate. So that's just one example. It's just, it's, um, there's so many under, under stories that requires this time to figure stuff out instead of like a news outlet, just rolling in and, you know, spend a, less than an hour and be like, and it's very surface level. So that's what, that's what, that's what drives me insane is yeah. that kind of stuff. And I think that's what also, hopefully, I, you know, I can spend more time with is doing that, you know, and I've done that too, you know, very surface level spending with a, a unit, um, um, in the military unit, um, that were probably Iranian, uh, Shia militia, um, which they were protecting me. So no problems, you know, like, so I, I thank them for them for, to for protect me on the front lines. Um, but they are probably did some things that were questionable, um, to civilians or prisoners of war which people still have to understand like that's war war is super messy and complex and you can't tell people who maybe lost a family member to you know to isis how they're going to react um but then again you know so i've done stories where i kept it surface level just because of time and what it is but still you know there's so many stories that all being said there's still I give I give no excuses for large media outlets because they have the resources to do it. For independent freelancers who are working with maybe fifty dollars a day, um, which is nothing, you pay a yeah. you pay a fixer at least four to five hundred a day. Just you know, maybe four hours of frontline stuff, and that's like if you're really lucky if you have the right freelancer or fixer. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's just me rambling on. <laughs> no, why, why I loved a mini minute ago, um, it reminded me when you said like some news outlets just spent an hour or sometimes maybe just a few minutes at the location. Mm -hmm. Took me back to I think it was September 15. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I went down to Hungary rescue to the uh, Serbian border. Serbian border. Yep. Um. And we parked right next to the CNN minivan. Oh, that's right. Uh, and they were like on the 
I guess, well-deserved coffee break when we arrived. They're sitting with the van with the side door open. And yeah, yeah. Everyone was having a good time. Um, what was happened there um, is basically um, this rescue was one of the main points of um, I don't want to say Syrian refugees because it's really like all types. It was of like nations. eight nations, yeah. There, yeah, per minute. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> like, insane. I, I bet it was way, way more, and way like we had people from Central Africa walking <laughs> into Europe. Um, but yeah, these these people from CNN, they, you know, were there, um, and then they went on live. And you know the the well, the host or the correspondent uh, is the better word was like yeah it's very chaotic here and you see people in the background walking yeah. and it's a super hostile dangerous uh, environment and uh, I remember I just to see if they would keep it or take it out I walked into the frame in the background eating a sandwich <laughs> and. Many, many hours later, when you and I finally arrived at the right hotel um, in, right. In, in, yeah, in Budapest. Uh, yes, Budapest. Um, we saw that broadcast where they were like, yeah, it's dangerous and hostile and, you know, w whatever the narrative was. And you actually saw me eating my sandwich, sandwich in the background <laughs> of yeah. the broadcast. And... Like, it's just so dishonest. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, yes, it, it's hard for me to, it's, uh, I don't know if it's so much of like the system that they're in, which this is, they've probably done the same kind of thing for so long. It's like, how would they, how would they do it differently? You know, if they were on their own and this is like, that's the, that if me, if legacy media or, you know, quote unquote what is like tv whatever mm. um the format because of, there's so many ads and commercials like and shortcuts like i don't i don't know if that's the best way to say the news and then on top of that you're doing 24 hours news cycle like yeah. they set themselves up for that's really hard on top of like how many ads they have to put in within that cycle so like they're already on top of that they're forced to do these short segments in a way where like, yeah, they have podcast formats and everything, but really their bread and butter is on TV because that's where all their money is going. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, you know, it, that's a perfect example. We stayed there from morning until, you know, we hours into the night running around in and, the rain, you know, on, in the the rain on the tracks and, you know, it's all for trying to get that story and tell it in the right way and doing your best at ability. Um, and, you know, we have a fraction of the budget. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. What we didn't have in the budget, we had definitely an um, passion for trying to understand what was happening. I think that that sums it up yeah. uh, in, in the best way because what what i learned during those years is that news not necessarily is what's actually happening mm -hmm. it is how the editor or the correspondent think is happening yeah i it drives me insane of just seeing like why can't cnn just 
or any Fox News, everything. Instead of like, let's do a panel. We're bringing in our panel, panel of speakers, panel of like, okay, just panels. Like, can you just go to a freelancer or one of your local and just have them on there? Like, you know, you know, like another example is, you know, um, what happened, the attacks in Austria, yeah. you know, just focus on the local people, just focus on your local journalist who's there probably and have them just flesh out, you know, content and, and keep going and going instead of like, okay, we're bringing another panel. Like, okay, more panels because I, I, maybe that's just the format that they want to do. And it's just an easier format in the end. Yeah. And I, I think also, you know, obviously drama sells the story. And even if some things are important and possibly dramatic, but maybe you need to do more explaining than you have in a 30 second, uh, final, final cut. Um, yeah, it, it is like the I, most funny thing of how silly sometimes news are is when in, I, I watched a broadcast from Iraq mm -hmm. and you know, they were talking about Mosul and the fighting there. And they were like way far away or something. Yeah, the the city that we stayed in, I'm I'm so bad. Uh, I already forgot the Erbil? names. Yeah, yeah. There was a mm -hmm. American news correspondent wearing a bulletproof helmet, bulletproof vest, like full combat news, you know, with a Velcro patch in the front, press, and like looking very irritated, like he's in and and you know his life is on the line. And yeah, he was in our bill. <laughs> I was talking about Mosul, which is like uh, no wearing sense. a bulletproof vest in Munich, talking about the Vienna attacks, basically. Yeah, I, I can't remember what's the drive time from our bill to Mosul, but it would like on a good day, it would take you probably probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you see that all the time. Like, okay, we're talking about, you know, Baghdad, and you see the correspondent in uh, Jerusalem or Turkey. You know, <laughs> I guess it's somewhat. <laughs> so, like, I there's just that doesn't make any sense to me because there's so many journalists, so many independent freelancers who are located all over the globe. Really good ones. Like, just go to them. They're like, they're they're on the grounds right now because it's it doesn't make any you know i don't know i really do i've never worked full-time with any of those large media outlets and so they may have a reason for it um, but they better watch out because during this election um all these independent media people such as uh, rogan doesn't even count himself he's you know he just likes talking to people but still we'll put him in that category rogan tim pool the Jimmy Dore show, Steven Crowder. These are all vastly different people, but still they're independent. Their YouTube they make them make their own money from what they do. Right. They, make they all have different opinions and like, I get uh, it. I, I, but I, I was curious to see what their YouTube live stream versus legacy media live stream would numbers yeah. would be. Do they blew legacy media out of the water? Not even close like to their live stream numbers, yeah. uh, the daily wire, another one, which they're, they're, 
not so much independent anymore. They're, they're a full, you know, independent news media outlet, uh, but not anywhere close to a legacy media outlet. Like those platforms, that's why I say like YouTube right now is the real winner. They were just blowing their, the like ABC news, CNN, Fox news. They were blowing their live stream numbers. Maybe by double, probably even more certain ones. Yeah. Because they live in YouTube, in the YouTube bubble. Um, I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter what you think of them, about their views, about the work. work. Mm -hmm. um, I find Tim Pool super annoying with his whiny voice too. Um, yeah, I, I like, I respect Tim for what he's yeah. been able to do. Like that's yes, really, really hard work to do. And that's, that's awesome where he is right now. And I can only see him um, get, getting better, but I, I totally get it. I, I know what you mean. So it is for a target audience and I'm not really 100% in that. Um, mm -hmm. Same with uh, everything um, concerned like legacy media or. Um, yeah. I just Ben Shapiro and, and, and these people like I, I love that independent and people that do their own media startups are able to give their angle uninterrupted. So you see where they stand and where, mm -hmm. you know, they're just, coming from. I just hope they stay like that because it's, they can put like Rogan's done a really good job in everything, but you can, you can easily form into something that you didn't realize that you did pretty quickly. Yeah. And, um, but whatever, you know, what do I know? They, they, that's a lot of work and it's hard work and they've done a really good job. I mean, my favorite one out, everyone is popular front, which is like mostly grassroots, um, like war conflict journalism. Yeah. Um, uh, so good. I hope, I hope they continue to grow, you know, um, it's a very specific punk rock kind of feel, which is pretty cool. You know, they have a, you know, but they have a pretty young audience, um, from what I can tell based off just, you know, so, I think, I think uh, that's where I think, you know, maybe the future of the news is there, but then again, like legacy media has lasted for so long through like the great depressions and, you yeah. know, they'll find a way to adapt. They're yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. In German, we would say totgesagte Leben länger, which means people that are uh, said to be dead live longer, mm -hmm. roughly translated. Um, and I think it's, it's a lot of, uh, with a lot of outlets or companies or industries from the old world yeah. world, like we'll I, see I hear, yeah. hear a lot of people saying that the German car industry is not going to survive the next 10 years because Tesla's are also amazing yet their bikes <laughs> fall off when it rains. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, they made it through worse than Facebook. Yeah. And uh, the companies with a lot of history, they have the brains, they have the funding. Um, it's just, they just need to decide to put the switch and that they haven't done it completely to go like all digital, all online mm -hmm. has its reasons because yep. they still make too much money with what they're doing at the moment too. Yeah. And eventually the people who are watching quote unquote TV um, or legacy media, you know, they that a lot of them has still haven't even transitioned over to YouTube. Right. You know, I watch yeah. YouTube more than anything else. I know yeah. my folks don't watch YouTube that much only until I send them a video, but they're not even, you know, they're not even full. So it's like, they're not even close to like the full, to the full, like 
amount of viewership they can easily do. Yeah. And what I love about um, YouTube, let's move away from news business and world events. Like you, you always find someone that you bump, bump into that kind of watches the same channels as you do. Like, you know, Gerald Undone and Donut, yeah. Donut Media, if you're into cars, which, you know, they came up with a very, very modern and refreshing approach. That's of cool. how to t talk about uh, cars and everything. Like there's always people that, you know, you, you, you meet and you kind of share this and it brings you closer together than versus talking about news and it divides you and stops you from getting <clears throat> to know someone else. Yeah. I, <clears throat> for me, you know, um, how I see it, it's, uh, I it, go get published. If you're a young journalist, try to get published, you know, that's, that's great. Just try to get it. But I think it's, there's something about publishing your own content that means just as much. And I, you know, there's been times where I've been published with New York times and all they did was put, you know, my initials on that story, like VR, you know, who, who, how is anyone going to find me for multiple work for that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I made it further than you because they put my full, full name in the oh, they New did? York Times. Yeah. Well, <laughs> before, international prints and uh, online editions. <laughs> yeah. Even that, like I wanted them to put freelance society versus my name. They're like, no, we can't do that. It has to just be your name. I'm like, really? Why? Because it's just changing the text, you know? <laughs> and yeah, policy man <laughs> it's, it's crazy you know um versus like now where i'm at i i i i can publish my own stuff and there's better probably even just as good chances you know getting work out of that getting more work out of that uh ver you know the only thing that is probably i would love to try to continue pitching is yeah that one chance of maybe getting a story onto Netflix or Hulu or Amazon prime or Apple. Like that's, is that's where you want that's premium content. That's where, yeah. you know, that's, that's where you would want, you know, that's where your career goes to the next level. I think if I were to do a quick video for even BBC, who's been one of my, like, that's who I wanted to, to be when I first started out was be a BBC cameraman. Well, um, I remember <laughs> he told me, yeah, like <laughs> if I were to do like a five minute video for BBC and they give me all the proper credit and everything, which is great. Like, okay, that story probably has like a day life shelf and then it's over. And yeah. I probably won't get any more work from anything else. Like BBC. Yeah. could, do it but i would probably have to re-pitch that story I, I would have to pitch them stuff it wouldn't be like oh that's cool okay we'll sign you up for five more videos like that never happened <laughs> and <laughs> so that's just that's just tell you so versus like okay i'll just do my own podcast my own stories and just release it and who knows maybe something bigger might come out of that um like i and so it's that's kind of where i'm at right now yeah, I, I think what I learned is if you do something creative, be selfish, do it for yourself. Exactly. 
and never stop challenging yourself and pushing you better gear does not make you a better creator mm-hmm. and having a platform doesn't make you a better speaker or presenter or whatever right. um, do it for yourself and do it in a way that you always take up a new challenge uh, every time you do something and then people will gain interest and people will follow like the last guest of the um, first season, um, Alex Klueisen, which also was our wedding. I don't know if you remember. Him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he He's very amazing fellow because he, you know, is like totally into this DIY stuff and he currently is converting... Um, converting a van into like a camper and like shares all the progress with it and has like uh, working on you know like smart gardening where computers Mm -hmm. measure of if the plants need water and also you know keep an eye on the weather report and it's so fascinating and he gets better and better in what he does um to the point where like you know, he could turn this into a living eventually because um, he's just always had a hand for all of the DIY things. And then, you know, you get bored with the basics and you search new challenges. And um, then you do stuff that really is fascinating to other people. Same with your stuff and the VR projects you did, you know, like even this VR maybe it's already dead or just will be a niche thing but like the way how fs um christian and you told the stories for from the kids in nepal um the project for i think the organization was named their world uh yeah uh their um yeah their world that's what it's called um you know, it just was so fascinating because he had so much experience in telling stories about areas in crises that you knew exactly what to focus on um, to make it more, more, more interesting. And you know, that's what keeps people in watching your stuff. Uh, your podcast is really, really great. I just had like ten minutes to listen into your most recent episode, but that was already enough for me to want more. Oh yeah, that. Uh, Dr. Anthony Feinstein, who's the leading expert of studying, uh, leading, he wouldn't say he's the leading, I'm saying it for him, just because like, uh, I I don't even know who would come in second after 20 years of studying frontline journalists, that specific. Yeah, um, yeah he he's an amazing, amazing person um, who's put in a lot of work um and studying not just frontline journalists but just like ptsd and mental health um and so yeah i I enjoy having conversations people like yourself whether it's you know you and i are are very close friends and we you know we just chat every once in a while something like this and then something like dr anthony feinstein who studies mental health and covering frontline work um you know, I enjoy both. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm very, very excited to see where the future is taking mm-hmm. you. And I have to say working 
for FS has been one of the most favorite things I've done professionally in my life um, so far, um, besides racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel so honored to be uh, a small part of this incredible story. And as you said, you're just at your beginning. And the day we will collect our Emmy Awards, um, we, exactly. I think we'll look back at our struggles we had in the silly year of 2020 or before. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I, I really believe um, that there is a future for quality journalistic uh, content docu documentaries. It's just right now the world is confused. Yeah. Um, but people will be wanting to watch Yep. things that matter i believe too and the people who just stick it out and work hard like this is the time because eventually like working hard and uh right now like anyone could have a chance as long as you stick with it i don't know how long that's going to last you know as more people transition uh into independent content but right now you know this is the time to get ahead of the game so but that being said, I, I'm doing it just I'm doing it just because I want to do it and not trying to figure out what the business model of it is. Or at least trying to have that mindset. You know, I think anyone that tells you I'm doing it just for creative, I was like, well, you're probably also thinking, how can I make money or how can I keep doing this for a while? You know, <laughs> at least a little yeah. bit. So absolutely. Like every <laughs> everyone that is not um that is doing creative stuff or let's say anyone that is in, in your field like storytelling um documentaries and <laughs> so on and doesn't admit that somehow they do it for the adrenaline kick yeah. um i think it's a liar <laughs> i i for sure did it for the adrenaline like going to these areas right um i always struggled to understand war as a german citizen one of the first babies post uh mm -hmm. the unification germany mm -hmm. as it is today was three weeks old when i was born well um you know um i in school i got taught the holocaust and you know all the messed up things uh, my nation has done which is uh, quite a lot um, but obviously that has nothing to do with my generation, but I never was able to compute, to understand what war really means to go into an actual war zone. Yeah. And you are, you are the only person that I literally trust enough to say, all right, I'm going in a situation where I might as well, um, get some severe physical and mental damage, but because, you know, we know us for so long when we went through much and I know how competent you are in these situations. I can do that. But that helped me to just a little bit understand what happens during war better. Right. But it still doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's it's uh it's only so much words and video can do it for you. It's one of those things like to fully understand it you have to you have to go with like you know a lot of things in life but um yeah i always tell people is like yeah just try to see what's happening in, in different parts of the world because you may not think 
um, we're connected to it, but in a lot of ways we are. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 um, I'm excited to see, you know, what comes of it. And I, I, um, and yeah, it's been thinking back on our past trips and our stories together. It's, uh, some of the best times that, you know, I've had in my life. So, yep. Amazing. I just was <laughs> taking a moment on uh, reflecting on the hour we, we just talked and it feels like it's still not enough, but uh, uh, let's, yeah. be, let's be kind to the audience because we know us since so long and we are like, um, yeah, really, we'll, really do close. we'll do another one. So we oh, need yes. to say some stuff for yeah. the next one anyway. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, Dylan, thank you for, um, visiting um the little little new studio in southern germany virtually <laughs> and um i'm very very excited to you know see what the future holds for you what the future holds for us and i wish you and your wife your family all the best and the greatest success um in the approaching year and thank you for sharing some very personal moments and stories uh, with me and uh, the staying at home crowd, the audience. Um, and I'm very, very excited uh, to start recording the next episode with you. Yeah, let's, uh, let's uh, do something again soon, man. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, just let me know if you need anything. Sweet. Have a good one. <laughs> Staying at home is back. New episodes and new formats will come very, very soon. I will try to get back to the weekly um, rhythm of uploading new episodes with my uh, lovely co-host Daniel. We will make episodes. We will have more international guests and people sharing their incredible stories. Um, and yeah, season two is already very, very exciting. I have a lot of good stuff for you in the pipeline and I cannot wait to go on this journey for the next 12 weeks with you guys. Maybe longer, depends how the winter goes. <laughs> and yeah, let's um, hear some feedback, how you liked it. And maybe you have some, some um, input towards Dylan or towards me let us know our social media stuff is linked in the description and you guys have a wonderful and safe rest of the week goodbye